Do you know what you want to do with your life? If you answered no, you're definitely in the right spot because neither do I. My name is Joey Mislowski, I'm 19 years old, and this is the Young Man's Search for Happiness podcast. Every episode I interview a very successful entrepreneur, business professional, doctor, or anybody that has a strong drive to be happy. We talk about their story, what advice they'd give to the younger self, and ultimately what happiness means to them. What's up, everybody? Hope you're all having an amazing day. We've got a very special guest joining me today. This man is what you call a go-getter, to say the least. He played football at Princeton and graduated with an economics degree, and there went on a unique career path. Out of college, he started off at the biggest global consulting firm at the time, climbed his way up the ladder, then quit and decided to bring up a consulting company of his own, where he and a few other founders grew to 330 employees. He is now the current president of the commercial real estate company, Copake and Brooks, he explains his strong belief towards the importance of hiring the right employees and how hard work and patience are vital in being successful in your career. So without further ado, please enjoy this extremely insightful podcast with the one and only Brian Weathern. So um, to start, um, for just some context, could you like describe your career journey, like where you started at Princeton and that, like what jobs you had and where you are today? Sure. Uh, my path is completely unscripted and uh, atypical, I would say. Um, graduated with a, a major in econ from Princeton. I had a minor in computer science. I started out for a year and a half in the engineering program and thought I was going to be a programmer and design things with computers. But physics 102 was a butt kicker, and uh, that was a, a eliminator for me. And I ultimately knew I wanted to do business of some sort. So then I pivoted to econ, and going into my senior year, I thought I was going to do investment banking. However, going into senior year, management consulting was really starting to increase in popularity and demand. So I uh, decided to go down that path, interviewed with the biggest global consulting firm in the world called Arthur, well, called Anderson Consulting at the time, now called Accenture and uh, was given an offer by them and took the position. So I ended up progressing uh, up the chain at Anderson Consulting for seven or eight years, made manager, and then uh, was hired away to build a consulting practice for another national consultancy under Xerox, uh, who was building a consulting firm, and uh, basically be the managing director for a Kansas City uh, practice and grow that. Did that for a few years and then uh, was hired back to Arthur Anderson who had divested from Anderson Consulting which was the tax and audit side so they became competitors. Uh, was hired back to do management consulting in the mid-market space and stayed there for uh, that would have been um, six, seven years or so and then this small company called Enron came through and uh, you may have read about that in history or heard about it, but uh, Arthur Anderson had a little bit of involvement with Enron, and all of us basically were going to be without jobs. So myself and a handful of other great smart guys and gals from Arthur Anderson Business Consulting started a consulting firm out of Kansas City and Omaha, and then we grew that to 12 branches nationwide and over 330 or so people and then we sold that to Grant Thornton and that was the time for me to get out of consulting and get into industry 
as my kids were entering middle school and getting more active and I needed to become more of a dad, uh, talking to kids nightly from hotel rooms, tucking them in, asking about their day, remotely really wasn't being a good father or husband. And so it was a perfect time for me to get off the 20 plus year management consulting train of fun, uh, chaos, challenge, diversity, all that kind of stuff, and get into industry. And so uh, basically I've been uh, the lead executive of two companies since then in industry. First one was in manufacturing, and then this most recent one that I lead is in commercial real estate. So just to recap, my career has been across all industry verticals. Uh, It's been across a lot of different functional areas, but when I take that background of diverse industry experience coupled with diverse vertical functional experience within the operations of different businesses, it suits me and sets me up real well to be a CEO for a mid-market business, which is what my last two roles have been. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So um, out of all the jobs that you had, did you like the you know, the vertical kind of climbing the corporate ladder the most, or did you like actually, you know, experiencing starting your own practice? Which one was the most fun to you at the time? Well, starting a company, especially when you're starting it with really smart uh, men and women who are equally as accountable as you are, who, you know, you work in seven days a week, building a business plan, dividing and conquering, really to get that business off the ground, and then to hire, to deploy technology, to sell and close deals to generate more revenue, um, HR, operations, technology, finance and accounting, all the aspects of starting a business is pretty fascinating. And that was an ultimate challenge. But those two years, those first two years, we really got the business off the ground, were so invigorating, so stressful, so challenging, and then ultimately so rewarding and gratifying once we started to really get some traction and establish a reputation in the markets that we were serving, it was awesome. I will tell you though, when I compare being a consultant, a business and management consultant, versus being a senior executive leader in industry, they're both equally challenging and fun. However, at the end of the day, I love problem solving. I love figuring things out for businesses. I get to do that every day now and for these past two career positions for the same company. However, doing it in consulting, seeing different types of business challenges, business needs, whether it was uh, revenue enhancement, it was cost reduction or cost containment, it was operational efficiency. Um, The end of the day, what I focused on was transformation across different functional lines, uh, whether it was in consulting or now with my most recent two industry positions. Um, it's how we grow, how we accelerate growth, and how we transform and evolve our business to continue to stay up with and hopefully in some cases ahead of our competition. But really trying to drive transformational change. I think if you're stagnating, you're dying, not just in the technology realm, but in the service offerings that we provide in any services-based business. And I'm more of a services guy than a products guy. So meaning I, I deal better with people and how people can deliver effective solutions, excuse me, services to our clients versus creating and stamping out widgets from an assembly line or manufacturing plants. 
Uh, my background is more in services, and I like dealing with people. So at the end of the day, how do I develop high-performing teams? So I think that starts with, at the core, hiring good people. In consulting, I was told from day one, clients come first. So at the end of the day, we have to make it right for the client. We have to do what the client wants and needs, which makes total sense. However, and I was brainwashed that way, but then as I got into more senior leadership positions, I realized that people ultimately matter. And if you don't hire good, talented people that are resourceful and can figure things out, take direction, learn, and improve, then you don't have good clients or you don't get good clients and you certainly don't retain good clients. So I would reverse that from what I was brainwashed earlier on in my career and I would say that people come first. Hire strong, talented people. You will then earn the right and win the right to uh, attract and retain good clients and then that's how in part that you accelerate growth. Yeah, no, I, I love that. So. Back to when you were starting the business, you said you focused on long, did you focus on long-term transformation in the business you started or how did your team kind of work together? And also, what were some struggles that you went through in building the business and how did you overcome those? Sure, uh, when you're saying starting up, so day one, so literally mobilizing the new business. Um, well, let's see what struggles. Well, it was an all hands on deck thing. Uh, Enron was forcing Arthur Anderson out of business and so we were all soon to be without jobs so we had to develop a, a business plan we had to secure financing we had to procure laptops for everyone we had to establish health insurance we had to get an office so we had to, an office lease with furniture so people could work uh, we had to get little things like business cards. I mean, think about every little thing that you really need to do to essentially start and get a business going. And then we had to rehire a handful of people. So we brought over about 40 people day one from the Arthur Anderson team. Uh, so we, we uh, extended offer letters. We had to have HR that approved and could validate that we wrote uh, uh, correct or, or legally correct offer letters all those types of things and many that I'm forgetting about. So that was, a, that was a challenge. And as I said earlier, we divided and conquered. And so uh, I, took, I took the responsibility of technology. So I started talking to Dell, a Dell representative, and making sure I could order up 40 laptops that had high processing power and large hard drives and all that, and make sure we could get that at a fair price point. And we could get those imaged the way we needed them so that our remote consulting workforce could do the job that they needed starting day one and connect to our local area network and connect to the internet and all that stuff. Someone else took HR. Someone else took uh, health insurance. Someone else took funding. Someone else took our office lease. So we just divided and conquered and, and all came together and did what we needed to to get the business running. And then others of us, of course, continued and, and tried to grow sales. So. I wouldn't say there was one particular challenge. At the end of the day, when you're starting a business, all that stuff behind the scenes matters, but the most important thing is revenue, is sales. So, you know, you still want to have that pipeline. You still want to start to go get business, even though things in your house or behind the scenes in the back office may not be ticked and perfectly tied. You definitely want to make sure that you start to get an inc increased rate of revenue coming in because that's what pays the bills yeah yeah totally so um, I have another question about so 
when you were building your business, I know you said that you got a lot of a lot of experience kind of with different tracks going vertical and the corporate route and then building your own business and how it helped you to where you are today. What would you say is like the most important lesson that you learned that, that really helped you today? Was it understanding the perspective of your clients or like hiring a good team? What was the most important thing that you learned from all, all your experience? Uh, to me, I would come back to what I mentioned earlier. I, I, would, I believe in people. And as I said, I, I have most of my career has been in the services-based industry versus products. And so I've dealt with leading and building high-performing teams and people and serving clients and generating fees and, and re revenue from doing that. So to me, it comes back to hiring important people. And it's not someone necessarily that has 10, 15, 20 years of expertise in a certain trade, skill, technology, whatever it may be, but someone that essentially does have relevant skills that are marketable and valuable, but then they have that holistic composition that they're accountable, they're team-oriented, they're collaborative, uh, they're problem solvers, they're resourceful. So they know how to figure things out. As a consultant, you have to be able to figure things out. You have to, you have to utilize the internet, and utilize people, and utilize others, uh, whatever it may be. You can't just always be told what to do because in the consulting world, the playbook doesn't always, if rarely, exist. So you have to take a lot of information uh, pull together a lot of disparate information, assimilate it, form some hypotheses and alternatives for solutions and addressing the transformational initiative or the problem at hand, whatever it may be, and then uh, make a recommendation to the client. Ultimately, the client ultimately signs off and has to approve that, and then hopefully you're part of the execution. But to me, at the end of the day, it, it is all about people. And that's something that I will take all the way through to eventual retirement, that people matter. And people are what, who are fun to work with, and hopefully you build a strong culture around. So again, just to come back, it's not always about the skills and the resourcefulness and problem solving and accountability and so forth. They have to have a cultural fit. And every company has a cultural tempo, tone, and makeup. And that really starts from the leadership. We set the cultural tone are we loose in the workplace? Are we stressed and uptight and all business in the workplace? Um, do we like to have fun at the end of the day or sometimes on occasion, social hours, get-togethers, group activities, or are we a stodgy, stuffy, uptight, all business type environment? Um, I like to have fun. I, I work hard. We focus. We execute. We serve clients. Uh, I like to think that we do a darn good job at what we do. We take pride and have a very, very good reputation in our space. But we have to let off some steam and have fun and collaborate and get away from the workplace and get away from talking shop with our people. And that is another important element that uh, I would say any entrepreneur, any startup leader, um, you want to get a, a company off the ground, whether it's a startup, it's emerging, or it's relatively mature, culture is key. And people embody the culture, and it really starts with the leadership who sets the tone, but then every net new ad of an employee adds to that culture. Gotcha. No, I love how you said um, about, like, the social cohesiveness, too, how, like, it's important to not only just work, but also, like, do stuff outside of work and be social. Could you describe, like, a little bit more about that and how that helps, how the social aspect outside of work kind of transfers into, into work itself? And how sure. Yeah. Yeah. A very important part. Now, obviously, we're in the post-COVID 
uh, world. Uh, we've experienced the stay-at-home two-month isolation. And now in our business, we are in a hybrid operating structure, meaning most of us are working a couple days from home and two to three days in the office to minimize occupancy and manage some of the exposure risk for our people. Um, so things are going to change a little bit. But uh, pre-COVID, uh, we had at least monthly off-site company activities where we bring people together to, again, not talk shop, get to know people outside of the workplace, get to know their families, get to know their hobbies and their interests. Um, if they're new hires, obviously get to know them. But many of us have known each other for many years, so you just want to nurture those relationships. And by nurturing those relationships, you, you, you develop deeper relationships, which from my standpoint, you know, I want to retain good people. Uh, the cost of rehiring people and, and replacing people is pretty exceptional, uh, pretty high, and it's disruptive. So when you have a good person or good people, you want to keep them and you want to develop them. And establishing strong relationships with your team is important. If they don't feel like they are part of a community, a business or a company community, then they will feel less, less connected, they will feel more detached, and then they will be more likely to either leave or get picked off. If someone offers them another job opportunity, if they love what they're doing, who they're doing it with, and where they're doing it, I would contend, and you can do any survey research, money is not always, but rarely is it in the top three of reasons people leave. Typically, they don't like their boss, their supervisor. So, uh, and they also don't like where they work. They don't feel valued, respected. So, again, that's a big part of it, and the reasons of getting together is to get out of the workplace, like I said, have some fun, and really get to know people and nurture the relationships more than just in the workplace. Now, I will tell you, let me add on this COVID environment that we're in and going forward, I am concerned because I don't know if we will ultimately, if ever in the near term, get back to full-time in the workplace. I think we're going to maintain a hybrid work arrangement, part-time at home, part-time in the, in the office. Um, I don't think we'll be full-time at home. However, uh, when people are working remotely and they don't see each other as often in the office, those relationships are going to strain. So I'm going to be concerned down the road of if we start to weaken these relationships only due to infrequency of seeing each other, then the aggressive marketplace may start contacting some of our people. And then who knows, they may have more inclination or be more open to taking a higher paying, different type of job opportunity. So as a, as a leader, I'm always concerned about retaining and building our strong team. So, um, yeah, I, I like that too. Um, so with the future of COVID, do you think, like, what other ways do you think you could, I guess, implement some of like sort of that cohesive social structure, like maybe like Zoom parties or like something else. Do you think obviously a lot of companies are going to have to be very adaptable and innovate? What are some ways do you think you guys could do that? Well, we're in commercial real estate as well, and most of our portfolio that we own and manage is in the office space. So that's a big unknown. We've got some points of view about that, but that's off topic. So I'll say that for a different discussion. But the the virtual workplace, I think. If, every, one, if companies go completely virtual, I think that will be a knee-jerk reaction, and I don't think that will have long-term success because I think everyone working remotely won't, be, won't feel connected to anything. And I think people today, uh, human nature is to be in a community, be part of a tribe or a pack, right? And so you have to have that at least on an occasional basis. So I think anyone that goes completely virtual for a long-term is going to feel some repercussions of that. Um, I think the younger generation, your generation, even my generation, we like to be part of 
of, of community, like I said. We like to be part of a group, interact face-to-face. -face. How that's going to work going forward, I don't know. I think it's got to be a combination of technology, like what we're doing now. Uh, my generation, we're more face-to-face. -face. I mean, I can do this. We, we can do this. We're adapting, and I'm adaptable. That's fine, but I don't get as much joy out of it or satisfaction by having a virtual cocktail hour, and I've done a handful of those with professional groups and boards that I'm part of. You, you literally get a beer, I'm, you know, you're on a group <laughs> chat like this, and we're all drinking our cocktail and we're talking virtually. It's just not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. Uh, it, it's, it's okay because you still want to see people when you can't all get together. Um, but I do think this is more convenient. I mean, heck, I can do these at 9, 10 p.m. at night if we all want to do that and we're all busy. So it does make it easier. Now we don't have to meet during what I would say our typical business or extended business hours. We can do these types of things socially at any point in time. So flexibility in that regard, I think, is going to be a positive. I don't know if I answered your question or got it, got no, you all you wanted. Yeah, um, so kind of switching gears a little bit. Um, with your job right now, I love to ask people this question. What, what, what about your job makes you the happiest? Great question. Very open-ended. Um, for me, it's, it's the ultimate gratific gratification of making the company better. And better is a purposeful term because it doesn't necessarily mean bigger. It doesn't, uh, my goal is not to grow headcount, just to grow headcount. If we have to grow headcount as a part of growth or extending service offerings, then that's great. Um, but we want to grow not necessarily our top line, we do want to grow profitability, but I also really enjoy bringing on great people, helping them develop through our different lines of business, and seeing people progress in their careers, seeing our company win deals, seeing our company win more awards, um, just, just seeing our company get better, and that's a totally collective um, measure. So it's not just financial. It's not just headcount. It's it's deals that we're working on uh, in, in in our markets. So we're a developer, a, a commercial real estate developer. So marquee cityscape changing projects that we're involved with are key, and then accolades of our team members, things like that. Yeah, it, it's yeah. not about me. It's never been about me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, rising tide raises raise all raises all boats, and so to me, if I make people around me better. I help us deliver better service offerings. I help us win bigger, better deals. I help us market and promote our, our business, our services in our markets. Ultimately, we get better. And when we get better as a firm, then I feel better. That's, yeah, I, love, I feel like a lot of people find value in just like the ability to help others, not necessarily like the result or the money. Could you describe like, did, when you were young, did your was your mindset more focused on money, or was it still focused on helping others? And how did yeah, that change over the years? I've never never been focused primarily on money. I, I grew up very middle class, so I had to earn. I had a lawn service. I had fifteen or sixteen lawns that I had to mow weekly. Uh, you know, I've always been. I was brought up on uh, sweat equity, working hard, and earning your own keep. Uh, Midwest guy like your dad, like like all of our roommates in college and many of the folks that we associated with, many of the friends and buddies. So I've got Midwest roots and a strong work ethic. I'm not willing, I, I'm very willing to work for any accolades or outcomes that, that I may be entitled to. 
I don't expect handouts in any way. So for me, um, you know, when I was young, it wasn't about money. It was about work hard. And so uh, my goal freshman year in high school was I wanted to play college football, and I wanted to get an education. So I started lifting weights, working out for the next three years with a passion, with a goal to be recruited and play in college football. And I also did well academically. Uh, God blessed me with a, a little bit of a mind, and, and I wanted to go get a decent degree. Well, Princeton for me was the perfect integration or, or merger, if you will, of football and academics. And so um, that, that's how I got there. And then even that, you know, I, I don't ask anything of others that I'm not willing to do myself. So I'm not one to leave at five and ask other people to stay late. Uh, I'll stay late with them. If I can't help with whatever they're doing, I may even offer to go get dinner for the people. Hey, let, at least let me go get dinner for you guys while you're working. Uh, I, I would describe myself as a servant leader. So even though I have leadership responsibility, uh, I want to be a servant to others. And so my job is to take things out of the way, enable people to do their job more effectively so that they can progress and, and do well. And then as I mentioned earlier, then collectively and in aggregate, the company does better. Yeah. So that, for me, for me, the money, you know, the money comes. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's a byproduct, or it's an, it's a, it's a result of all of these other things I've been talking about. The focus on the people and really driving growth of the business and, and really making our business better. If our business does get better, then essentially all of us should make more money. But it's never been, I've got to make money, so what's my path to make the most money the fastest I can? That's not ever been part of my mindset. I love it. I love your term, sweat equity. I've never heard that before. Did you come up with that? Uh, no, I did not. I certainly didn't coin that. That's just a Midwestern thing, right, I guess. Like, no, but, I love that no, term. I, I can't, I can't credit that. anybody. I would, but I've known that for years. But it's, it's sweat equity, absolutely. you gotta, yeah. you got to put the sweat in, and, and then you get – you get your equity out of it. Hopefully, not always. Yeah. Um, so, if you had to, if you had to give advice to your 18, 19 year old self right now, what advice? What advice would you give him? Uh, boy, there's a lot there. Um, let's see. I would say, don't expect handouts. I mean, I, I guess I would. I would summarize a lot of just little points or or nuggets. I'd say, don't expect handouts or a uh, a free ride, uh, put your work in and be patient. Good things will come to you. Um, be a team member, look out for others, be accountable to your supervisors and your team. If you're expected to be somewhere on time or do something by this date, do it. Do it to the best of your ability. Don't let down your team, don't let down your supervisor. Um, be proactive and resourceful. Be proactive, look ahead, try to anticipate problems, try to anticipate what a supervisor or a team might need, and then bring that to your team or supervisor. Hey, guys, I thought about maybe the next step, we might wanna know this, or we might need this information. Uh, it may not be perfect or right, but at least you're thinking. You're showing that you're, you're thinking ahead. You're playing chess, not checkers. And so you're, 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 you're again, trying to uh, um, think ahead. As a supervisor, if you're a manager or whatever level you are and you, you, you oversee people, when people bring you ideas, uh, new, new improvements or innovations, thoughts that you hadn't thought, you hadn't been thinking about, you appreciate that. Again, it may not always be perfect or exactly right, but it shows that someone's thinking 
to make something better. So those are a handful of nuggets. I would I would say top of mind. Yeah, I like the. I feel like a term that's not necessarily talked about a lot that you mentioned is patience. Could you describe a little bit more about patience and, and what strategies people can use, I guess, to be more patient? Yeah, that's a great. Safe? That's a great yeah. one. I will tell you that uh, I believe, unfortunately, your generation, which my two kids are part of, uh, is not very patient. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And yeah. I think that's going to be a struggle. And as I've managed folks in my career, I've noticed that the generation behind us, which is between you and between me, is also fairly impatient. And they want things now. They expect things now. Hey, I've been here one year out of college, and now I'm ready to become a manager. And I want the responsibilities, I want the income, I want everything that comes with that. Well, no, you have to put in your time. Certainly in the consulting world, you have to put your time in and you have to perform. You have to deliver the expected results, the outcomes that you expect of consultants. But many people get frustrated that are impatient at younger ages, and then they get frustrated because they get frustrated, then they may leave and think that the pasture is greener somewhere else when in fact it really isn't. Um, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, just put your time in, work hard and good things will come. It's really hard to coach patients. If you haven't been coaching patients through someone's upbringing in their home or in their surroundings, I think it's going to be hard to all of a sudden as an 18 or 19 year old, as you mentioned, all of a sudden become patient. I think that's going to be very difficult, um, but it's it's essential. It is totally essential to become patient. Um, work, put work hard and and try to just just try to do the work. And I, I think yeah, because no, I, because this generation, there's been such economic progress during our time, during your upbringing and and our middle age, that things have come relatively easy and been pretty good for many in the United States and there hasn't been a lot of adversity and people have gotten more or less what they wanted in, in a younger generation and it's just going it's not going to be like that as an adult yeah so I, I think I think the younger generation again as, as I would say my kids college and high school are going to struggle with adversity and dealing with situations when it's not exactly going how they expected or wanted it to go or maybe as easy as they thought it would go and there you're going to have to work harder for it and be, be persistent persevere and ultimately get to that end goal whatever that may be it could be just getting a project done it could be the next step of a career it could be whatever but goal orientation is something I've always been mentally wired toward and I think that that might be a way to try to circumvent or mute impatience a little bit if you forget about being impatient but then focus on goals then yeah. maybe focusing on goals will will allow someone to not be so focused on getting there quickly but just getting there exactly. and then yeah, like taking those micro steps toward getting that goal or achieving that goal yeah I like how you mentioned that because I feel like what you said before about you were never focused on the money, you just said sweat equity, put in the work, and I feel like that also helped played into your patience because it seems like you focused more on the goals, more on the process rather than the result. And I feel like that is something that I noticed that could help with being more patient. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I, I think it's I think it's a combination of the two. It's not just the process. You can do the process all day long or for a period of time, but you need to be going somewhere. And how do you know 
if you if you're going in the right direction then that's where you have to have the goal so i think if you have it's an and you have to have the process and the goal if you have just the goal well you may have that goal but you may have a process that is all over the place if you just have the process but you don't know the goal you may just be in, lost in the process forever so i think you really need to have both of those together and you know, I've, I've always been as i said goal oriented i've always had a, a little bit of a process a method to the madness hey i need to I need to knock this project over and then I need to go get one of these types of projects so I can build my repertoire of skills, broaden my base of experience, build out my capability so that then I can become a partner in the consulting firm and I can sell over here and I can sell here. And so having a plan of attack or ultimately in this case a career strategy, which as I opened up, my career path has been very atypical and not planned, but I've always had kind of the next step planned and then you course adjust and that's something that in the business world as well as a personal personal level you should have a strategy hopefully people do and then and then it's okay to adjust those as you go so you course correct and you adjust as you hit certain outcomes or milestones and then you know that that strategy is always evolving yeah yeah adaptability strategy evolving uh so another question i wanted to ask you is about I love um, asking people about the competitive environment at Princeton because you get all these really smart people and you get into this environment. How did like that kind of environment help shape you to be more, I mean, how did that, how did that shape you to be a better leader? How did it shape you a better person? And what is the importance of environment in your opinion and how you deal with that? Yeah. Princeton coupled with the consulting experience was so formative to really change me. High school was very easy. I went to public high school. Um, did fairly well academically, so I wasn't challenged in high school. Athletically, uh, I pushed myself, but didn't have as much competition either. But when I got to Princeton, bo both in the classroom and on the football field, I was it was very competitive, and just what you said, smart people and athletic people. So for me, I had to I had to definitely uh, up my game, no doubt. And so I had to learn how to study harder and better, really more effectively. Uh, and then clearly longer. I wasn't used to that in high school. I mean, maybe an hour, 30 minutes a night. So I really had to learn more productive and more timely study habits. Uh, in football, same thing. You had to work harder. You had to be smarter. You really had to understand the plays, the read and reacts, uh, the techniques. And so just, just hanging out with great men and women at Princeton for four years, um, naturally that competition, that competitive nature uh, rubs off, but in a good way. It wasn't cutthroat. I, didn't, I never felt it was cutthroat. Uh, I felt like we wanted to help each other. So whether we had study groups, uh, we definitely tried to pick each other up. I may do better in a class than someone else that I was studying with, but someone else was doing better in a class or, or understood the content better than I did. So we'd help each other in, in different uh, major related classes. And so the uh, the notion I would say just of that helped me. So I, I learned to talk faster. I learned to think faster. Uh, I became more decisive. Really, a lot of that was the environment coupled with East Coast. And so people would tell me when when I came back for holiday break or summers, "Wow, Brian, you really, you really are a little bit different." And so I I had to learn to be a little bit more assertive, a little bit more aggressive than my general Midwest makeup. And I attribute that as a positive. And so it gave me the confidence. It gave me the uh, a little bit upbeat tempo to 
maybe be more assertive and, and take on more in my career and in my life. So from that standpoint, I definitely attribute both the Princeton experience as well as the consulting experience to helping me become what I think is a, a better, more productive, more effective individual in all aspects of my life because of just the need to be organized and make a lot of things happen concurrently. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Having a good environment to propel you to be better. Um, I don't have any more, like, I guess, formal questions, so if you'd like to add anything, go right ahead. Otherwise, um, I'm done, but... This is great. Hopefully it's been the content that you were hoping to get. Oh, yeah. Hopefully it will be on point and uh, hopefully get you whatever success, accolades, outcome, if it's a grade, uh, if it's no, a, an internship or whatever, anything that you're wanting to get out of this, hopefully it will help you achieve your goal. Well, I learned a lot, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, if, if I can impart any knowledge on you as I try to with other young up-and-coming professionals, then that would be awesome. It'd be an hour well spent. That caps off the podcast today. Hope you enjoyed, and please tune in next time. See you later, guys.